Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. This episode was recorded in January of 2023. Since recording, Mitch is no longer with Renown Health. Anything said about Renown was current at the time of this recording. Mitch is taking some time to focus on his family and his newborn son, and he is currently open to work as he explores what's next in his career. Digital Voices with Ed Marks, happy to have you join us again. So this drop, we're going to feature a friend of mine, Mitchell Fong. He's the Vice President of Virtual Health at Renown Health. Hey, welcome, Mitchell. Thank you, Ed. Pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a big, big fan. It's always great to reconnect. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I really admire all the work that you're doing out there, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Uh, so I definitely want to give you an opportunity to share some of that and, and be helpful to many, many of our listeners. But before we get there, DGA Megan, I know we've talked about virtual care before, like during the heat of the pandemic. And are you still using virtual care today now that things have subsided a little bit? I haven't, I mean, knock on wood, I haven't needed um, to go see the doctor. Um, so no, I haven't used it in a long time. Okay, but it's still your go-to if you yes. could. It makes it easier. 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, Mitchell, I maybe we'll end up talking about this. I know we will, but can't imagine why anyone would go back to the office again, you know, if they didn't have to. Have yeah, to. I'm in the same boat. I think there's so much utility. And when we think about work-life balance, fitting healthcare in, I think that's one of the opportunities that virtual care really brings is you can control that time yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. And for everyone on both sides, operations as well. Um, so anyways, uh, we first met, I don't know, it's probably been a year now. I think it was at a HIMSS conference. And I heard about the great things you're doing. Of course, um, someone that you work with, Chuck Podesta, good friend of mine, um, you know, he also sang high praise uh, for you. And so we connected and I was like talking to you and realized, hey, you're, you're doing, you're actually doing the work, not just pontificating, you know, about the virtues of virtual care. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I got to have you on so you can share with others who will, uh, you know, be inspired or motivated to keep, keep on doing what they're doing in terms of you know, pushing uh, towards healthcare digital transformation. So before we go forward, Mitch, what are the songs on your playlist? Uh, great question, Ed. And first, thank you. You know, Chuck, amazing leader, uh, definitely inspiration to keep pushing forward. And I'm just glad that it led to the introduction of you and I, because I've definitely learned a lot and gained a lot of value throughout that time. But as far as music, for me, it just kind of depends on the mood. There's days where I need something a little calmer to keep me calm, I relax myself. And there's other days where I need to pick me up. And so I go for more of a hip hop, R&B blend between those two. That's typically kind of where I live, depending on the mood. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, and you're right. We, we use music for all sorts of, you know, circumstances, uh, depending if we're being chill or, uh, yeah, we need to get a little bit more energy and things like that. So that's pretty that's that's cool. Uh, what about your life message or mantra? Is there is there some words that you live by that kind of keeps you on the straight and narrow? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think one that I've used from a long, long time, one of my favorite quotes is just be better than you were yesterday. Mm. I think for me that just it means a different thing every day. And that's the why I love it so much 
is getting better it can mean in every facet of life as well, not just healthcare, leadership, but family goals, personal goals. And so I really like that one because it's not targeted, it's not scripted. Um, but from a virtual care perspective, I think always thinking about patients as if they're your own family and never starting with no, but bringing that ethical code to the table are things that I believe are most important in leadership. Um, and so that's kind of what I would say is my mantra, so to speak, although it's not short enough to probably be a mantra. No, no, those are good. And I, and I really appreciate that. Be better than you were yesterday. Never start with no. That's really good for sort of tech and digital people to, to embrace and that you're right. You know, there's someone at the end of all those decisions that you make and it's impacting their lives and you have to think of it as if it were impacting uh, someone that you cherished. So I, I really like that. Uh, you have an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about your story. You can go personal, professional, mix of both. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll go a little mix of both. I think um, previously in my undergrad career, I thought I was going to be pre-medical. That was the way I wanted to help people. The only way I knew was to be a doctor. And I think as I kind of went through, maybe organic chemistry helped me rethink that if that's really the right fit for me, honestly. Um, but also I started thinking about how's the best way that I can really impact lives? Because the goal for me was to have a meaningful difference on people's lives. And I wasn't quite sure that being a doctor was the best for me with my skill set, with my personality. So I kind of meandered through that path, went down a biotech route. I thought maybe I'll find the cure for cancer, but it wasn't smart enough to do anything in that world. Uh, and so then I went down this public health route. And I think that's where I really got inspired because my topic of research got plugged in with the visionary in the healthcare industry was a great, great influence and a mentor for myself. But really, he was pushing a telehealth strategy. And this was in 2010, wow. 2011. And so when we think about that at the time, it was very innovative. I didn't really fully understand the potential. And so as I kind of peeled back the layers, understood that better and became more mature through graduate school, that became something I really, really wanted to pursue. Um, but being in leadership also was what I knew I wanted to do. And so how do I continue to push forward into kind of his virtual care that wasn't in existence yet, but in healthcare leadership, which was. And so I bounced around all over. I worked in operations uh, for the health system on the hospital side, as well as the ambulatory side. I went back for an MBA and I took analyst roles throughout that because I felt like data was the power at that time, was kind of the new normal for how we need to make decisions and really thought that was going to lead me to the transition of healthcare into the digital world when we use technology to really address the healthcare disparities for access and quality, but also leverage that technology to make healthcare more affordable yeah. to help reduce that healthcare deficit. And so that's kind of what took me full circle um, back actually to the population health area leading ACOs, uh, in our organization and then taking that to then lead the virtual care specific team pre-pandemic. And obviously as COVID hit in 2020, that changed the outlook of my career drastically. Um, but it's something that I've been preparing for and I've been very passionate about for a long time. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. And, and would you say that, what would you say about the value of the experience you had working in operations now that you're sort of on the virtual side, sort of a digital side, uh, would you recommend sort of that route for other people? I absolutely would. You know, I think great question and great experience. I think experience sometimes goes swept under the rug when we look at credentials and how do I get to what my dream job is? I think we focus on what that title is too much and we don't think about 
what's going to make me satisfied in that dream job? And what are the skills I need to be able to do that and to have that impact? And I think while I didn't realize it in the moment going through the operations analyst, the financial analyst roles, those have really set me up to understanding the big picture on how does technology really impact operations, impact the quality of care, impact the outcomes, and then also impact the bottom line. What are some of those regulatory reimbursement um, hurdles that you have to go through? And how can I help influence policy? Something I never thought in my entire career I would do, but here we are in virtual care and any of us leading this space know that there is a need for improvement in policy and we're working together to try to influence that. So absolutely think that that baseline, that experience was pertinent to be able to even have the conversations I can have today with people from all different backgrounds, whether they're clinical, operational, or financial. It's been really helpful for me as a population health expert to have that experience. Yeah, you know, a lot of times people want to know sort of what helped make make you as a leader and shape you because they're looking up to you. And yeah, when you talked about all your operational experiences, it just reminded me that that's probably a good you know, if you're intentional with your career, that's probably a good stop to have along the way is like going in operations and going back to digital operations. And, and, uh, and sometimes I've even recommended, you know, get experience outside of healthcare with a plan to bring it back in. So it makes you like super uh, well-rounded. What, what other advice would you have for those who might be earlier in their career, Mitchell? Yeah, you know, I think it's a great question. First, I loved what you said there because I think getting experience that doesn't feel like the straight path forward is sometimes the best path. And I think we always just look for the straightest path, but sometimes meandering a little gives you that diverse experience. So I loved what you said there. I think leadership advice for those earlier in their career, I think one, reflect, be very honest. I'm a big fan. The one thing I tell my team is you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and see yourself naked. And what I mean by that is no makeup, no covering, no bias. Yeah. I think sometimes it's very easy to say, I've poured in hundreds of hours, blood, sweat, and tears on this program. This program has to be an A-plus quality. But if we really did the same thing and took a step back and looked at the exact program blinded, we may not rate it the same way. And so I think take that reflection, be honest with yourself. And what that means is you take accountability for areas of opportunity, but you also look for where you can improve the feedback from your team, the feedback for yourself as well as the entire team and the dynamic of the team is just as important. And so I always do daily, weekly, monthly reflections of myself uh, on where am I going as a leader as well as intentionally for the project and the programs that I'm leading. Uh, and so I have personal growth targets from a professional standpoint as well as from a, a just personal standpoint. And then I have targets for professionally, what I want the team to do, what I want myself to achieve in the role. Uh, and I think I would try to look at those and think about how I can continue to influence that. And one other thing I'll say is uh, ethical leadership, I think is extremely important. And so as you continue to evolve and advance in your career as a leader, you'll be tasked with making more and more decisions. And I think less and less answers will be able to be given to you and what that means to me is you need to make sure you have an ethical standard and moral code that you continue to live by and make decisions by so that you're consistent and you can look yourself in the mirror and be happy with who you are and who you will become. I think sometimes as leaders, we reflect on that too late and we realize that we might have been doing things in a way that we wouldn't have appreciated if we were back in a staff level position. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, right? Because the patterns that you set early in your career are going to be the same ones that are tested and and leveraged in your future. So if you if you make exceptions early on, um, it could lead to you making exceptions with some really big things that have you know negative implications. Yeah, you're right on. It's like when I'm and I want to talk to you on a personal level because I know <clears throat> you you said you you wanted to. Tell us a little bit about yourself, professionally and personal, and I don't want to skip over that. Uh, but I know that you're very involved in sports. And when I think about just running, like whenever I'm training, I'm always training. I never take a shortcut because even though I'm tempted, I know that in a race, you don't, you can't take a shortcut. So don't shortchange myself. You're only cheating yourself, right? So I, I love that whole concept of that ethical responsibility. So tell, so I know you're into sports as well. Are you still active in sports? Yeah, big, big sports fan. I still try to stay active, hit the gym a few times a week. I play in a couple recreation basketball, flag football leagues. And when there are fundraisers, I tend to find time to play other sports as well for a good cause. Um, but definitely try to stay active. Big sports fan. Follow basketball, baseball, football, both college and professionally pretty closely across the board. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. So we're recording in uh... – Mid-January 2023, and so uh, Super Bowl predict predictions. Easy one for me. Niners going to take it all. I'm born and raised in the Bay Area, born and raised a San Francisco 49er fan. Just got off a tough win over the Cowboys, but uh, hopefully it's it's us. And I actually don't really care who comes to the AFC, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing the Bengals in there. I, I love Burrow. I think it's a, it's a nice thing for that community to see that team bounce back. Yeah. Um, but Niners for the win, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I admire Kansas City greatly for many different reasons, but it's always fun when there's someone else in there. And uh, same with uh, San Francisco, although San Francisco's been to the big dance uh, a few times, but but Philly seems like such a lock. So I'd love to see the 49ers uh, take care of the Eagles. So we'll revisit. By, by the time this gets uh, out there, Mitch, it'll probably be February, probably be all pro uh, flag football. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, we'll come we'll come back and see how how well of a prediction uh, you made. But yeah, the the who would have predicted right uh, early on in the in the season, right? You had a a very strong quarterback who went down. You get this rookie that comes in, and geez, um, what's his name? Purdy. He's yeah, Brock Purdy, Mister Relevant, last pick in the draft. Yeah, that's something else. Uh, that just goes. Uh, there's so many leadership things that we could uh, talk about right there. So you already shared with us a lot about your uh, your career journey uh, leading up to Renowned Health. Uh, what about in Renowned Health? Um, you know, what other things are you doing or other areas that you may be getting into? Yeah, I'll say maybe a little tangent from my exact role in the digital health space. But one thing that's of utmost importance for us right now is just culture and people. I think uh, I, I serve on a couple different boards, and one of the areas of focus is DE&I. And with that, I love that they've added the B to that recently, so diversity, equity, inclusion, but they've added that B for belonging. And I think that is extremely important because when we think about DE&I, you can have policies in place for any company that says we're adhering to these diversity and inclusion. We're allowing everyone to interview. I'll go back to sports for an example of the Rooney rule for head coaching. But how many of those head coaches that are African-American actually feel like they were belonging in that interview, even though they were given that interview? And I think that's where sometimes the intent of the rule doesn't add up to the value. And so I'm a big fan of that belonging. 
And with that, I'm, I'm helping co-lead an organizational-wide culture crew for Renown, where we're really looking at how is the workplace evolving, particularly with hybrid uh, how are we looking at nurse burden and burnout, knowing that that's something that as an industry we're trying to get upstream of long term? And how are we building ourselves to be the best workplace that attracts that talent and retains that talent for the longevity? And I think that's where we're looking at an industry of really improving that experience. So that's one that's not necessarily digital health related at all, but I think is very pertinent from a leadership perspective of making people feel like they're valued and making them feel like their work matters, no matter what the role is, no matter what the person is, no matter where they are in their career. I think that's extremely important for you to come to work and feel like I'm proud of what I do and I feel like I'm valued and appreciated for what I do every day. Yeah, I love that. I've not... Um, heard too many companies yet in healthcare embrace that B. I think it's fantastic. It, it is definitely a missing piece. Like you said, the other could be more like laws, like you put in laws as opposed to the spirit of the law, which I think is more of the belonging, right? Because that's what you ultimately uh, want to get to. So that's that's pretty cool. So so uh, that that goes back to sort of career advice. So. Do you recommend for individuals to raise their hands when, you know, there's a volunteer opportunity to be part of something, whether it's, you know, United Way or some fundraiser, or I don't want to feed you an answer here, Mitchell, so I, I, I'll just stop there. But how, how has that helped you? Because obviously you're really engaged with your employer. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think one, like we said earlier, coming full circle to taking experiences that may not be the direct yeah. path is always valuable. And then two, getting that diverse experience. And one thing that I've always taken from every leader I've worked with, ones that I love, ones that I've hated, ones that are somewhere in between, I always take the things I like about them and the things I really don't like, and I try to table that. Yeah. And the reason for that is I want to emulate all the things that I liked and appreciated, and I want to make sure I don't emulate all the things I did not like yeah. and didn't appreciate. And that's kind of helped me shape the leadership style that I want to have yeah. as I continue to progress. So I think doing that is super helpful, but then getting that diverse experience allows you to see things from a different lens. Yeah. And I think that is that is of utmost importance when you're thinking of unintended consequences. And that ties back to the digital aspect of healthcare. Any innovation we do, you can control as much as you want for the intended impact, but there are always going to be unintended consequences of every innovation, of every process that requires change management. And so the more and more we can see things from different perspectives and the more stakeholders we're connected to, the better and quicker our response will be to whatever that unintended consequence is. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And, you know, I'm going to call out one more leadership thing uh, that, that, you're, that you're demonstrating, uh, but just to highlight it, and that is that you remain open to changing yourself. So when you were talking about, hey, I want to learn from the good good ones and I'm going to learn from the bad ones too, like what not to do, how to incorporate all the good stuff, that's, that shows a different mindset than a lot of people have, you know, where they're, they figure, oh, I just got my MBA or I got my whatever, or I'm a director or a VP and I've got it, you know, I'm, look at me and I don't need to make any change. But, but you're a very humble uh, leader who realizes that, hey, I, you can get better. Well, thank you. And I love what you said there. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
you're always a student, you're always growing and evolving. And even if it's not by choice, the industry of healthcare should force you to change just with the policies, the regulation, the laws and what we see there. I think it's something that should, but I agree with you. You should always be open for change and we should be continuous students. The best leaders are learning from those that they mentor as well as um, their own mentors. And they should have people on both sides of that continuum no matter what, their entire life. Mitch, I hate to like go back to a technical topic because you know I, I love lead, leadership the most and that's really what Digital Voice is about. It's not so much about tech or digital, it really is about the leadership of it because as we both know, the tech is there. It's the matter of change management, it's the culture, it's the leadership, all the things you were talking about. But that said, I know you're doing some pretty cool things. What, you know, can you kind of give us maybe the big picture and then uh, get as granular as want? But I know you, you're, you're, you're leading things out there at Renown Health. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate that. And I know I can sidebar on anything for a long time. So thank you for getting me back on track. I think for us right now, it's no different than everyone else, right? You typically traditionally operate in a high majority fee for service, moving toward a managed care value-based model, figuring out how do we create that shift as an integrated health system. And so with that, for us, it's taking that step back and understanding where does hybrid care and where does virtual care fit in that continuum? And what are really going to be those value drivers for us that's going to be effective? I think when we think on a grand big picture scale, it becomes how do we create a unified hybrid care experience so a patient can get the best care no matter where they are to deliver the right care at the right time in the right place? And that means partnership, that means leveraging technology in the home, on the body or, or in a, through a phone, so it's wherever the patient is, but also how do you transition them back to the right level of care if you need to truly bring them in the brick and mortar. And so for us, I think it's figuring out how do we consolidate that unified experience first, and then how do we leverage both our traditional and our innovative tools together to create a synergy amongst those legacy tools and those new innovations and then recreate that healthcare experience leveraging a digital first approach so we really are successful both in the in-person as well as the virtual world. That's kind of a very, very big picture on where we're doing. As far as where does it start today right now, I think we're starting with that interoperability layer, yeah. not just of the data, but of the systems so that a patient can go through one location and they can do all their billing, their scheduling, their joining visits, they're uploading the wearable device data, whatever it is, they can do all that through a unified experience. Uh, the experience I like to talk about, one is healthcare GPS. I think historically in healthcare, we've, we've done what I'll call like a MapQuest method where it's accurate when you look it up and you print those, but as soon as you step out the door, you never know if there's still accurate instructions. And what we need to get to is more of your ways or your Google Maps, where as soon as you miss a turn, it's telling you, you missed a turn, I'm recalculating the route, but you're still on the way to the land of the healthy. And that's the experience that we want to be able to use virtual to be able to do along a patient's life from birth to death is how long we want to be with them. Um, but creating that unified experience so that it really feels like even when you're healthy, if we're there for you when you're healthy through the app, in person, et cetera, there's no question where to turn when you're sick. And that's where we know patients panic and they want to get that right care, right time, but they just don't know where to go. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I love the sort of big picture thinking because, you know, oftentimes people will immediately gravitate to, you know, bright, shiny objects type things. 
and their infrastructure is not ready. So they have like uh, 20 or 30 different apps. And if you're a pay, so it's cool if that, if, if you're in that particular service line or department, you got this cool app. But when you think about it from a patient perspective, where they have to be now in four or five different apps because they're not connected, it's like uh, super, super crazy. So, you know, COVID really helped accelerate a lot of the progress, you know, in these particular areas with virtual care. And we saw adoption certainly accelerate. Uh, but since then, you know, we've seen that number come way down. I, I think we hit the bottom. I, I haven't checked the stat lately, but we went from, you know, maybe a high of 60, some higher than 60%. And uh, the average of averages uh, has been hovering around 12%. So uh, what do you think is next? You know, are we going to see that increase? Is it going to stay there a while? What's your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of companies that are in this same transition period that I described we were in. And so with that, I think it'll hover around the same for a little while, but I think it'll slowly start ramping up as the technology becomes ingrained as a part of that strategy for many similar facilities. And I think that's just like us. When we're going through this interoperability integration phase, I don't expect us to ramp up volume significantly. But once we get through that phase and we're pushing that virtual means as a, a strategy of the hybrid continuum, I think we will see that level of virtual continue to increase. And so we've been no different than the rest. We've probably even dropped lower than what that national average is, unfortunately. Um, just with some of our volume, but that's where we want to sit, I think, is a little bit above what the current average is, and I hope that we'll see that trend continue to improve. I think with that, we'll see policies continue to evolve, yeah. and that's a part of it from a payment parity across the states and Medicaid's across every single state. Uh, I think once we get there, that'll really be a push to start using it more and more, and this push to value, I think, will have all health systems really thinking about how do we leverage virtual more to reduce that cost, but also provide better access to care and more timely care. Yeah. And it's a really good point. You mentioned it twice, maybe three times on policy. And I don't think that healthcare leaders, digital leaders, IT spend enough time in policy. And, and after this podcast drops, we'll have a podcast drop from the American hospital association, uh, policy wonk, if you will. And, She'll be, she'll talks a lot about how you can get involved, how you can learn more, because to your point, Mitchell, it's not surprised, not surprising at all to me that, that you're, you're on top of it already. But, uh, if you're not, then, then you don't really understand the full impact on the, on the patient, on your revenues, on a lot of different things that would make it successful. So it's really important to, uh, keep up with that. So the other thing that's happening too, Mitchell, right, is we're seeing Amazon now offering virtual care. Uh, someone said they saw the button show up on there. I don't know where they live, but saw the button show up, you know, right next to their prime video uh, button and their uh, uh, Whole Foods. And so it's just a matter of time. There's other there's other en new entrants as well. How do hospitals compete with these new entrants? What do you think um, is a good strategy? Hey, you know, it, I think it's one that we're all still trying to figure out clearly with you see a lot of large hospitals and health systems have shown a lot of negative financial results over the past couple of years. I, I think we're really trying to figure out how do we compete with the new entrants to the market? And with that, to the point you made earlier, how do we also make sure we're not chasing shiny objects? So I think that's a part of the strategy yeah. is to make sure that it truly is at the core of the value we want to make an impact on our patients. What are we trying to do? What are the 
barriers from us doing that or opportunities for us to expand doing that. And let's make sure we're particularly focused on that as we look at innovation, because I think it's very easy with so many new uh, entrants to the market from an a vendor standpoint to just get caught up with some of these shiny objects that may not yet be FDA approved, that may not be something that you can support from a resource standpoint or a financial standpoint. And so with that, I think it's build the relationship with the patients and the communities that you're trying to serve. Ensure that you have the right, I'll say, um, reputation, for lack of a better term, with that community and that you're doing best by them to bring the right care and the highest quality care with that. So I think if you focus on the quality and the asset and the access aspects of healthcare, you'll be a lot further along than really trying to just beat every entrant. And with that, you might find that some of those new entrants want to partner with you because of your ability to do something so well or because of your stronghold in that community. Um, so for me, I think that's one of the biggest things that we look at, but that's also part of where I think policy is very important. Yeah. The more and more we influence that policy, we shape our relationships with our partners, our payers, and the more we can be successful in building our strategy around what we believe we need to do for our community and our patients. Yeah, excellent. So given all that, where do you think healthcare is headed in terms of sort of this digital transformation? What other things do you think we'll be seeing in the future? Yeah, I think we're just scratching the surface of technology and healthcare. I think we'll see a huge shift in, in policies that we've talked about. I think what we're seeing today is a transition of how can we get upstream of the triage more than anything and, and early intervention visits. But I think what we'll start really planning around that, and we're already seeing it today, is more of how do we manage resources in the patient's home? How do we bring the care to them? How do we bring the prescriptions to them? How do we truly enable person-centric care? Uh, not health facility, health provider-centric care. And I think that's much more where we're going. I think with the pandemic, we're going to see, and we've already seen the digital health literacy of every patient continue to rise. People are more and more educated on what they should be doing, shouldn't be doing, or are interested in learning when they come to appointments now than before. And so I think that's going to be great. And I think we'll see an uptick of that with the future generations as they grow and they get older. I think that we'll see this aspect of health literacy continuing to increase, and that will allow us to do more and more in the patient home in addition to expanding policies. I think the biggest concern that I see with it, and I think is opportunity for us to get digital in healthcare, is with the workforce shortage and um, the nursing, the labor, whether it's nurses, providers, et cetera, across the board, and how do we create an environment of care that allows them to not have that burnout feeling and have a better work-life balance. I think that's where we'll see technology really get involved with virtual nursing or other aspects of digital care where we can really change that experience for the bedside team and hopefully, um, even if there is a reduction in workforce, we'll still be able to deliver higher quality care and more accessible. Uh, so to me, I think those are some of the areas. And then further out, we'll be looking at passive monitoring, wearable device monitoring, your AR, your VR, and all other types of reality or alternate realities, I should say, that we'll be communicating in to build those relationships. No, that's fantastic. I I think, right, there's so much, uh, Mitchell, uh, content packed into this 30 minutes. It's, it's just amazing from this whole thing that we've been talking about leadership and sort of like great ideas for getting your career, mid-career, you know, really accelerated. And then, you know, where we're headed with uh, the whole digital uh, particular uh, area. So 
Is there anything that we missed or anything you want to double down on? And I give you the last word. Um, you know, I don't think we missed a lot. I think we covered everything. If there's anything I'll double down on, I think it's that, again, ethical leadership is of utmost importance. We need to make sure that we're delivering the intended value and we're always reflecting and adjusting and improving if we're not. We never want to put a patient or a community at risk. And our job and our goals are to make sure that every patient gets the right care at the right time at the right place. And it's our responsibility as experts in the healthcare area to make sure that that's feasible for every one of those patients. That's awesome. Mitchell, thank you so much. You know, I, I travel the world and I meet a lot of different people and I do a lot of pad- podcasts. Um, you're, you're a renowned health. Lucky to have you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Ed. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That wraps up Digital Voices. A, a shout out to our producer. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.